welcome to the 10th episode of the Next Gen Cast. It was pointed out to me in the last episode that I forgot to introduce myself because uh, I was so excited, obviously, to speak to Joe Harrison. So I'm Nish, I'm a GP registrar in Cambridge, and I helped set up Next Gen over three years ago now. So thank you for choosing to listen to this episode. We've had over 2,000 listens to the podcast so far, which has completely exceeded my expectations. And some really nice feedback coming through. For example, I had a message from Anna, who's a GP in Edinburgh, who said, Thank you for doing the podcast. It's reminded me to look upwards and outwards when it's so tempting to just look downwards and inwards in these really strange times. I also had a message from Roz who said, Nish, I've just listened to episode 7 with Karen McCluskey. What an absolutely awesome interview. Her story and what she describes is absolutely our reality here in Glasgow and it's so wonderful to hear about what she's done and how she's broken down barriers to make things change. Truly inspiring. Thank you, Roz. I completely agree. I was utterly blown away by Karen and really recommend that if you haven't listened to that, you go back and listen to episode 7. So here we are, episode 10, and I thought that as well as getting some of the gold out there in terms of NHS leadership, it might also be interesting to hear from someone who's a little bit earlier on in their leadership journey, so a rising star. So that's who we have today, Sonali Kinra. Sonali's a portfolio GP in North London. She recently moved to London, having been working in Nottingham for some time, and she's still the GP retention lead in Nottingham. She's held lots of leadership roles across commissioning and provider organisations and she's always championed improving equity and also improving engagement with the workforce. So I met Sonali when she was living in Nottingham and she would drive every evening to come to our Birmingham Next Gen programme. And having taken a lot from the programme and from the speakers, she was absolutely determined to bring it to her area. So she totally embodied the next-gen ethos of paying it forward. So since then, she's worked with a team to set up the Nottingham programme. They've had two cohorts, and they're actually going to start their third virtual cohort in January. I've always admired Sonali's energy and drive, and more than anything, her ability to bring people along with her. Before we start, I'd also like to say congratulations to Sonali because just after this episode was recorded, it was announced that she was appointed to be interim clinical associate in the primary care team at NHS England and NHS Improvement. So well done, Sonali, and good luck in your new role. So here's episode 10 with Sonali Kinra. So Sonali, thank you so much for doing this and welcome to the Next Gen Cast. I've just talked about the roles that you're doing, so I know that you're incredibly busy and we'll come on to all of those as we talk. Thank you so much for being part of Next Gen as well. The, the ethos of Next Gen and the bit that is so important to me, as I think you know, is paying it forward. And you attended the Birmingham programme, I remember, and you said, you came up to me and you said, Nish, like, we need this in Nottingham and not only do we need this, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to run with it. And you were just this absolute ball of energy. Thank you for having me, Nation. And a big part of my life has been uh, knowing you and allowing me to be a part of Next Generation GP and, and all the brilliant things that come with it. So thank you for bringing it into my life. Let's just get started. So for people that don't know you, Sonali, maybe... You know, we sort of know the jobs that you're doing, but can you tell us who's the real Sonali Kimra? I am um, 
I've never identified myself as an international medical graduate, but I think at some point I kind of dawned upon me that that actually is what, what I was. So I did my undergraduate training in India and then I moved here, but I'm, I'm one of three girls. So we are, we are three sisters uh, and my mom and dad uh, and both my sisters live in, in India, in, in Delhi. Um, my, there's, there's no doctor in the family, so I'm the first doctor who's there. Um, but my my mother has really been the driving force behind all all of us, I would say, for my dad and for three of us. She came from a family that had been uprooted during the time of partition, and her brother, uh, so her elder brother, really encouraged and supported them and said education is the most important bit in your life. And he made sure that she received the education and she went on to... Um, uh, then went on to actually become uh, a professor in a college for political science. So I think making sure that the emphasis was on education and to make sure you stand for yourself, she has really been the driving force for all, all of us at, at home and um, has always encouraged us to be independent, to make sure that you go and make a difference for yourself and those around you. So yeah, that's, that's me. It's, I'm extremely close to my family. Um, I've, I've now got, an, I've got a niece and a nephew, one's 10, the other one's five, who I have seen majority of them uh, remotely, but, um, but I do that on a daily and sometimes six hourly basis. So I'm still very close to them. And here I, I'm with my husband, he's a surgeon. And yeah, so it's the two of us spending our life doing work and doing and work becomes life so it's it's uh, one thing merges into the other if your husband was here and i said to him describe sonali in three words or three phrases what do you think he'd say he'd say family for sure first uh he he'd say hard working and i'm trying to think whether he'll say stubborn or <laughs> So would mine, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I'm thinking whether it's stubborn or, or um, assertive, <laughs> but yeah, probably there's a thin line somewhere in between those two. Very true. Let's talk about family, actually, now we're on the subject. How do you, so you're married to a surgeon and you do, you've got so many different roles. How do you find making time for each other, making time for family alongside everything you're doing? Yeah, so we... Um, so we're, for a big part of our married life, we, we actually um, didn't stay, didn't live with each other just because of his training that kind of took him away to different places while I stayed in Nottingham. So I think, I think we're now married for 12 years. And out of that, I think probably six, six years of those, we, we had like a weekend relationship. But um, distance does make the heart grow fonder. So that was always helpful. But however, that kind of, created uh, the whole week that I had um, you know the working week so to say was mine and I and I filled it I, I filled it with work I filled it with engagement activities in the evening but I set myself kind of some goals every time he went away I set myself a goal of what I'm going to achieve while he's been away so I think one fellowship that he went for I said I will do training for half marathon so I did that I think one. I think one fellowship training he went away for. I said, I you know I need to get established in my role within the CCG. So I set myself. I think those kind of targets and objectives. 
but then I think having realized that the working the work was getting to an extent that it was spilling over. It was spilling over from the working week to the weekends, which really should have been ours. And um, and both of us, I think, kind of realized that that even though we were um, seeing each other on the weekend, there, there were times that I was busy on, on the phone trying to um, keep up with all the multiple groups that I am on and he was doing his work. So we made a commitment to each other and and kind of put an end to that long distance relationship. And, and then I moved just earlier this year to, to live with him uh, in, in London. And I think that has been quite helpful. So just the, the ability to see each other every day in the morning, at least before you leave for work and, and after you come back, at least try to have your meal together has been quite good, encouraging, and certainly something that I continue to look forward to. But I think we are both cognizant of the fact that we are that that work is is life. But, you know, we don't mind it. I think also I think I think we both enjoy it so much that one thing flows into the other. I think we've moved from the situation where earlier we used to discuss patients and discuss cases. We've now. Yeah. NHS discussions are 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 a common common theme in the house and and more so improving the primary care and secondary care interface. There's a lot of work that needs to be done and, and more so at home than, than what probably outside. So, but we enjoy it. I think, I think if you're having a good time, then it doesn't feel like a burden. You know, have, have, have we got the balance right? Maybe not, but, but we try to ensure that, that when it does become too much, then yes, we do take time out and we, we you know, have, we love our shows on Netflix uh, and we do try to catch up on those on the weekend. But I, I think nothing, nothing different from what probably a lot of people around us do. I mean, Samantha Jones, Nikki Kanani, they've all spoken about it as how they just um, have some sort of work-life flow or chaos, whatever it is, where one thing merges into another. So you mentioned work and how busy you are then. Um, let's talk about that side of things. So what, what are the roles that you're doing at the moment, Snarly? So the actual jobs, um, I think what I'm doing is, so I'm, I'm, I was a GP partner in Nottingham for nine years and I moved to, to London, as I said, in January. So I've taken up uh, a salary GP role, uh, hopefully with, with a view to partnerships soon, uh, which I do for eight sessions. And then I have, I still kept my role in Nottingham when I'm doing the uh, GP retention lead role, which is uh, one day a week. Other than that, if I see what is the actual role that I'm doing, a lot of time is spent on WhatsApp groups. So there's no job role or a job title with that. But yes, I tend to spend um, or use that as an engagement for on social media. So a lot on Twitter or WhatsApp group. I've recently been um, elected to the Royal College General Practitioner um, Council, which, which starts in November. So I am looking forward to that to see how we can improve engagement with our members and of course you help to lead next gen as well in the east midlands so that's another role that you do just out of curiosity how do you find doing eight sessions of clinical work alongside the other roles that you do it's hard it's it's toughness really to be honest um i i've been through now i think so nottingham i i'd started with nine uh, straight after training i remember kind of, you know, fluctuated from nine to, to seven at some point. And in Nottingham, I'd got, I, I think I'd got the right balance um, 
in the last few years where I was doing three days clinical and, and two days everything else. But I think having four days in, in practice and, and the long hours that we are all pulling is, to be honest, not sustainable. It's not a part of our retention strategy where, where really you can, you can do that. I think during COVID, it has been harder, certainly, because we've all had to um, adapt and adopt to new ways of consulting. And we are also now dealing with the uh, mental health burden, the uncertainties, um, which adds a different dynamic to this. So I think it's, would I recommend that people should be doing eight sessions? You have to find what's the right balance for you. And it does require a little bit of you know, trying things out. When, I, when you move to a new area, as I did in, in London, um, I wanted to find the right fit for me, the right place for me. Um, and, and initially, that, that's what it came up with. It came up with those number of sessions. But I think I'm quite clear that going forward, I have to find the right balance. How many sessions does that become? And, and really, should we also be talking in sessional terms? Because no longer is a, you know, a session which is supposed to be four hours, 10. We know that you know, when you're spending a full day at work, it's nothing like four hours, 10 times two, isn't it? it it's just more, it's, it's much more longer than that. Um, so you have to try and see what works best for you. But I think um, four, four full-on days is, is hard work, yes. Uh, especially when everything else that you do as well. But I think just with the, the clinical burden, I think to be able to deal with it can take a toll on you. And you talked about your GP retention role and you also talked about establishing yourself in the CCG. So the question people often ask is, how do I get into this, into these leadership roles? How do I put myself out there? How did you get them? Yeah, so the, I think um, when, when I started, I think kind of looking around, it was very much just talk to people and keep putting your head above the parapet and and try and make sure that somebody will will take notice and i think that's one of the fallbacks of of primary care in secondary care you can see that there is a bit uh, more organized journey or an organized path for people who want to take leadership roles whereas in primary care given our independent contractor status and the fact that we are individual almost organization that um, journey hasn't quite been charted out but we are trying to do that and I think next generation was certainly ahead of its times because I think that's exactly what it was trying to do where it was opening up the minds of people to say that you know there is clinical work and then there is this whole other world outside of it that will equally enrich your your clinical work that you will do so I think certainly one of the things next gen has has achieved is the fact that it's created those leaders. So if I give you an example of Nottingham, uh, within the first cohort that we had of NextGen, we had five clinical directors for primary care networks. And these were people who may not have really identified themselves to be, to be leaders. And when the primary care networks came out, I, I went on all sorts of social media to tell people to, to apply for it. You know, people felt unsure, not ready for it, but I said, you know, it's, it's something new. We will all just learn together. So, so just go for it and, and people will help you. Um, so for me, there, there wasn't initially the next gen when, when I started. So it was very much 
me um, talking to people, making sure I use every opportunity to, to speak to them. Um, I did, I also did, uh, I had an interest in liver. Um, so I was through my appraiser, actually, I was put in touch with the secondary care consultant. Um, and I started to do some liver clinics. And just somehow at that time, they were also looking at the kind of liver pathways uh, from the CCG point of view, as well as some sort of cost-effective exercise. So I put my hand up. I said, oh, why don't I work on this? And from that, I think trying to be able to deliver on that, then some other roles. I think once people get to know that you're, you're keen, you're interested, and that you are, uh, are going to deliver, then they, they probably give you a bit more responsibility. And, it, and you also build confidence in that because when you go into you, exactly, you know, what does CCG mean? You know, what, is, what does a clinical commissioning group really do? And, and I didn't know any of that. But when you go into a new place, while you're bringing in a breath of fresh air, you're also given that permission to ask all these questions, just be curious. And, and the senior leaders will be more than happy to answer you. I have, um, I've had the privilege, really. People have been generous with their time where they'll just sit with you and they'll explain these things, how things work. Um, and especially my clinical chair of, of our CCG, uh, Hugh Porter, full credit to him uh, for him to have kind of shown me as to how things work and um, you've done this, why don't you try something else? Why don't you go and meet this person or speak to them and just get a bit more overview? So, so I, think, I think there's a bit more structured manner now looking at where, what NextGen is doing, clinical directors in primary care network. But yes, I think we need to do better. Primary care needs to develop a bit more organized method of those people who wish to go on their leadership journey so that they're not having to just put their head above the parapet. It's because something is already there and all they need to do is, is jump on it. Mm. I mean, you make it sound like you were just in the right place at the right time, but it takes courage to put your head above the parapet. And that's something I've really observed about you is you're really good at putting your hand up and saying, I'll have a go or just reaching out and speaking to someone, which is what NextGen's always been trying to encourage to say a lot of these senior leaders are just normal people, really happy to talk. What goes through your head when you email someone or you contact someone or you go for a role? Do you ever feel afraid or how do you get the confidence to do that? I, I, think, I think you're right. I think a lot of it does come from kind of um, individual trait. Being a middle child, I had to make sure that I was being heard always um so part of it may come from that um i think a, a lot of it does come from my parents they they always said that you know if you think what you're doing is right we will back you up so i'll give you an example i was um i was just thinking of this actually this morning um i was in in college and i think we were trying to i, I was living in the hostel in in india and we were trying to fight for something quite basic like security it was a girls hostel and it was for security and, and we were trying to fight our way through it. And the principal of that college, he wasn't quite happy as to why we were putting up such a strong fight against it. And I remember talking to my parents and telling them that, that see, it's come to this, that yes, I'm, I'm asking them for more security and um, putting up a challenge to them. And, and it may not turn out very well because you know the principal there has all the power, so he may decide 
to end my medical career right here. And, um, and I remember so clearly my parents telling me that if you think what you're doing is right, we will back you up. If you want us to come there and, and just stand next to you while you're putting up this challenge, go for it. And that's exactly what I did. And I think, I think having, having that sense of that people trust you, probably I get the confidence from that. And then this bit of, well, what's the, you know, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> They'll say no. Um, and they've never said no. That's, I think, and that encourages you even further. So, and, and Twitter is, is a brilliant, it's a, it's a good and a bad place, isn't it? Because, you know, how many times I've just, when I've followed people or sent them a message, people have been kind. They're always happy to, to give you that piece of advice. And these are people I've never met in real life. Um, so I, I think, yeah, that's perhaps where it, it comes from. And, uh, and I really, and I try to, I think, make sure that, that I, that if somebody therefore contacts me, then, then I must be responsive to them so that next time when they're trying to contact someone else, they can find that immediate courage because they've had somebody respond to them. You're absolutely so good at paying it forward. I loved what you were saying there. You must send this podcast to your mum and dad because it just sounds like their values have totally been instilled in you. And that's that's so nice to hear. You talked earlier about recently you were appointed to RCGP Council. So congratulations for that as well. And we've seen a record number of people from BAME backgrounds be appointed this year. And it made me think, you were also talking about putting your head above the parapet. And I wondered whether being you know, a young Asian female from India, do you ever feel like that's played a part in your progression so far? Yeah, so uh, thanks, Nish. That's, um, uh, that's really a good question. And I think when, when I moved to this country and, and the cultural background that, that you come from, it, it was really about put in the hard work and you will be judged on, on merit. So it was meritocracy based and that's all that's going to matter. And I think that certainly um, that, that was the belief system that, that I came in with in, into NHS and when I moved to this country. And, and I have to say in my early years, just when I'm, I was going through my training uh, or even my early years of general practice, um, it did not affect me directly. However, I think it's important to acknowledge that if it did not affect me directly, it does not mean that it does not exist. And there is enough evidence and data around us to to prove that there is structural racism. Um, But and, and the important thing for me in NHS or wherever I work is to be informed by the experience of those around me. And how is it that I can then help them, support them, and challenge those who are not being affected, but those who are in the leadership position to do something about it. So even though it's, we get most informed by our lived experiences, absolutely. We are this, we're in a time moment that we have the data and evidence around us shouting out to say that there is a problem and we have been shouting about it for i think for quite some time it's the time for action and 
and interesting that you brought up about the RCGP National Council. So I think it was it was really um, encouraging to see 30 people this time stand for for council and a huge number from the Black, Asian, and ethnic minority background. And I'm quite happy that you know uh, I played a little role in bringing people together. And so I. I'm, I don't think totally, I'm, I'm not sure where I sit in with the, the positive discrimination. However, now that we are there, it is incumbent upon us that on the mandate that we have come in, we improve engagement, we improve the accountability and we improve the transparency. We ensure that the leadership, and this is not just within the Royal College GP, the leadership truly represents the workforce that it's trying to to represent because it is important to hear those voices you you can't you can't be what you can't see and you can't totally then experience what you haven't experienced yourself isn't it so how will you be be, be able to bring about that change so so i think it's important to to take action i think we've spent a lot of time on on words on this and it is truly time for action and we are going to hit barriers. Um, we, we still are. I think um, some people have now also voiced the fact that it feels that the agenda uh, or this item on the agenda has moved further down and we cannot lose momentum on it. We lost a huge number of people from the BAME background and we've gone on to do risk assessments, but I think it is really important that we continue to support our colleagues and we don't lose any more of our workforce. I loved what you said there about you can't be what you can't see. That's that's such a good point. And actually you're doing that yourself, I think, as a role model for so many other younger people coming through. So speaking of that and achievements, if we wind forward and have this conversation again in five or ten years' time, what do you think you'll be telling me that you've done in that time? So you're quite driven. I can tell that. I'm sure there are things on your mind that you want to achieve over the next decade. What's the plan going forward? Is there a plan? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know whether I, I can really think about a decade ahead, but I think, I don't know. I think I just, I keep coming back to, to engagement piece. I think Nish, the workforce and engagement. I think there is so much more that we need to do in that in that field and our retention. Just this morning, I I had been kind of replaying what is the what is the one most important key factor that that impacts retention, and it's about a culture of a place. And how are we going to change the culture of each in you know individual practice, individual organization, so that our workforce feels truly valued, gets that true sense of belonging. So, so I don't know what that would look like in 10 years, but something where I'm continuing to work for our general practice workforce and um, something that improves retention. So every time when the data comes out on NHS Digital, when, when we are seeing the downward trend on, on general practitioners, believe me every time that that day is is a heart sink moment for me so until i'm able to see that curve turn in the right direction um i'm going to i'm going to keep at it
So the final three questions, if that's okay, things that we're asking everyone. The first is, can you recommend a book or a podcast or some kind of resource that's really inspired you? So I think during COVID, I would say that my my reading has has uh, really gone down and also the fact that I've, I've not been traveling as much. But I'll tell you what I did during COVID was, um, so I, I've always had an interest in poetry. I think one of the articles said, try to do something that you can reach the end of. So you get a sense of completion during COVID times. And I got this book called as um, kind of one poem for every day of the year. So it's got 365 poems. And I've been trying to, to read one poem every day, which is, it's just one page and it just gives me that sense of completion every day. And, and somewhere probably within me, I feel there may be a very, very amateur uh, poet that is there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll do better one day than just writing in my niece and nephew's book. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. We'll have to get you to come and read some of your poetry for us at Next Gen. Um, so the second question is, can you tell us about a leader that you particularly admire and why? I, I think, I think um, Nisha, I'll go back to, I remember very clearly what you had um, said when you introduced the second Next Generation GP conference, where you said um, leadership is an is an act it's an action it's something you do and i think i think for me it's it's what that person does where i tend to identify the leader in them so there was there was a leader in my in my secretary she she was the best person in organizing the best parties making sure that we all had a social event every three months so she was a leader there and um my i feel that my niece, who is 10 years old, she talks about positive affirmations all the time. <laughs> so she's a leader right in there. So I think there is a leader in each one of us. Um, and I think at times, I think one, it may be about self-recognition. So you're showing what you're doing at home is, is showing those leadership qualities. And a lot of that probably spills into work. And if you've not been able to recognize it, then perhaps the leader around you needs needs to recognize that in you and encourage you so that you can make further progress in your life. You've chosen people that aren't people with titles. You've picked some examples there of people that are doing stuff. And I think that's absolutely what NextGen is about. It's not about the title. It's about getting stuff done. And the final question is, what would be your top pieces of advice for new leaders? So if you were to even wind back yourself 10 years, say, maybe you were just qualifying and you were interested in leadership, what would you say to yourself or to other people in that position? So I'm going to uh, tell you about this, again, this leader that I do admire. So it's, she's called uh, Indra Nui. She was the, she's the CEO of PepsiCo. And um, lady, again, from an Indian background who was, who's done amazing. And she talks about this five C's of leadership. And I think, I keep coming back to that every time when I'm thinking about, um, am I making progress? So, so she talks about uh, the first C to be competence. So be, be completely competent in, in what you're doing, but still continue to learn. The second is about courage and confidence. So again, something you said there about being confident, but I think also to have the courage to be able to speak up. So that's a pair there. Third is communication. Um, whether you do that through social media or whether you write blogs or whether you just reach out to people, check in with them, 
um, cannot overemphasize the importance of that being having and make sure it's a communication that it's a dialogue it's two people engaging in that and it's not just you talking at something i think fourth would be consistency so so make sure you stay consistent you you can change your mind but have a broad consistent framework so that then people are not left second guessing you that they know that this this is going to be a consistent framework and fifth, the most important, and I think that's what I was giving the example, is your moral compass. So know where your compass lies and, and that it's pointing in the right direction. And, and if anything that kind of strays outside that, you know that that is probably not a path you've got to take. Snarly, thank you. Honestly, you are an inspiration to so many young GPs around you. And I love the way when I watch you, so here's a bit of unsolicited feedback for you. When I watch you, you're very good at bringing other people along with whatever you're doing. It's never the Sonali show. You can be loud and you can be, you know, assertive, but it's never about you, which is quite hard lined. It's quite a fine balance and you get, you do that exceptionally well. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I mean, I, I would say for me, the rising star has always been you. <laughs> uh, end up having like a girl crush conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Which nobody no. wants to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think girls rule. So. <laughs> no, but thanks so much for the opportunity. I think um, Next Gen, as I said, the Next Gen family has brought so much into my life and uh, got me so many friends, friends like family, totally. And um, I would just, and I think kind of my message to everyone is there. If, if you've not found, if you've got a Next Gen in your area, join it. And if you haven't got one, then then make it. So that was episode 10 with Sonali Kimra, and I promise I didn't pay her to say that last bit. I hope you enjoyed hearing about her values and where they've come from, a bit about her leadership journey and what she's learnt along the way, and what she hopes to achieve in the future. So we tried something new there with A Rising Star, and actually I enjoyed that conversation so much that I've got a couple more of those lined up as well. But our next episode is a Christmas special with the absolutely incredible Sarah Jane Marsh, who's Chief Exec of Birmingham Women's and Children's Hospital. So watch out for that one coming soon. And in the meantime, lots of our Next Gen programmes are restarting in the new year. So if you'd like to know more about those, sign up to our monthly bulletin, which is bit.ly forward slash NGGP bulletin. Whatever the weeks ahead bring for your colleagues and your families and yourselves, I hope that you stay safe and well. Thank you for all that you're doing in the roles that you're doing. And we'll see you next time on the Next Gen Cast.